You're hanging out After Hours with Matt Anderson, presented by Inside the Gamecocks. Welcome into the Late Night Gamecocks show. This is episode 18 of the show, and I'm recording this episode on Monday, August 14th, 2023. My name is Matthew Anderson, and I am your host for all things Gamecocks After Dark. So, been kind of a weird two weeks here. Um, been working a little bit at home, been working a little bit on the road, been recording things different places. Uh, me and JC have been working on making sure that we get all of these episodes out as soon as possible. So, I appreciate you guys bearing, where, bearing with us through um, all of this at the moment. But all of the episodes that have been recorded so far should be hitting your inboxes pretty soon. You know, however you listen to this podcast, you will find them sooner rather than later. But again, my name is Matthew Anderson, Matt Anderson on the Big Spur. And you can reach me on Gmail at late night Gamecock show at gmail.com. Really excited for this episode tonight. I know that there's a lot of stuff going on right now in the Gamecock sports world and you know, it kind of seems like there's not much going on just because we're all we're all counting down the days until kickoff against North Carolina. But the Gamecocks did have their first scrimmage of the preseason this past Saturday. And I've, I've done my best to get as much information as I can for you guys and, and gals and really excited to share what I have for you. So without further ado, let's go ahead and, and kick this off. So... Overall takeaways here, South Carolina's recent scrimmage, uh, it kind of showed some depth chart uncertainties. And the only reason I say that is because there were a lot of players that normally would have been on the, the one or two deep, you know, a starter or a backup player that, that might not have played, whether it was injuries, rest, or whatever. But I do know that the coaches were, were trying to get a lot of young players out there and getting those younger guys reps and, and see what happens with those folks when when the lights get turned on in Williams-Rice Stadium, when they're actually having, a, it, it feels like their first time in a real SEC environment in a big-time stadium with 80,000 seats. And just want to see what would happen there. And so the coaches kind of know what they have with their upperclassmen, but they, they're really going to be relying on some of these underclassmen this year. And I think that was a, a big thing that they were trying to do. But um, the, the coaches tried to recreate a game day experience as much as possible, and that was to benefit both the coaches and the players. The coaches, you know, there were a mix of coaches up in the press box, a mix of coaches, you know, down on the field level, and, and they, they did their very best to recreate what a game day situation would be, you know, calling the plays in like there was a lot of noise, you know, signaling the plays in, you know, working with the referees, working with the clock, and working with penalties and, and whatnot. So um, I was pretty excited to hear that, you know, this was scrimmage one and it wasn't kind of a laissez-faire scrimmage. It was um, ball, balls to the wall. It was let's go, let's see what we have here, and we're going we're gonna to coach this like a game and we're going to play this like a game. As of right now, I, I would expect Dowell Loggins to coach from the field this upcoming season. Um, he's going to have some eyes and eyes and ears and headphones up in the press box, so you know he can he can listen to his coaches that are up there that have been working with him and and watching that 22 game film and seeing everything that's happening. And he's going to be asking questions about formations, what he couldn't see on the field. But 
I do think that Dowell Loggins is best on the field, seeing things live, seeing the seeing seeing the defense up close and personal. So I do think you'll see Dowell Loggins um, coach from the field this upcoming year. Just some overall stuff from the scrimmage. There there were some good explosive plays, and when, and when when we say explosive plays, we're talking about you know 15 plus yards downfield, you know first down plus type plays, and. It that's a good thing. I, I don't. I, I didn't get a feel for how many of those were running plays versus how many were passing plays, but I do know that the offense did well from a passing game and a running game. I do think that there might have been some penalties, some offensive line issues, and we'll talk more about that later. Where offensive linemen might have might have held a couple times, had a couple penalties, and you know the referees are, are are being told to call that like they would call that in a normal game. So. Um, but there were some explosive plays in the scrimmage, and the offense did show some stuff that the defense hadn't seen before. So the bullets were flying for both the offense and the defense, and I, I think the coaches were overall pretty satisfied with the scrimmage. There was some up-tempo, hurry-up type drives um, where the offense was playing fast. That's be that's to be expected when you're when you're thinking about a scrimmage type situation because it prepares both the offense and the defense for the season. But I've been told to expect the Gamecocks' offense to play with a faster tempo this upcoming season. I don't know if that means that the Gamecocks are going to be playing like Tennessee style. I, I would be shocked if that's the case. But I do think that you know, the Gamecocks are trying to get a couple extra snaps you know, per possession, per drive, per game. And those extra snaps really do help the defense you know, get a little bit extra legs underneath them, get their wind back. And, and those, those only... Those extra plays only work when you're getting first downs, and that's been an emphasis. So, really excited for that. Log- Dowell Loggins definitely took some concepts and plays from his time at Arkansas. And when those plays have been called at the right times, those plays can be extremely effective. And the Gamecocks have shown the ability to execute a number of those plays so far. I don't know how many of you had the opportunity to see some of the clips that 24-7 put out about the Gamecocks in a hurry-up offense and just how fast they were getting to the line of scrimmage. The defensive, the defensive front wasn't getting set. Uh, the secondary and the linebackers were moving around, and the Gamecock offense looked pretty fluid. And, and that, that's before pads and all that kind of stuff. I can't remember if there were pads on or not, but that's, that's to be expected. And you know, the offense being able to maneuver like that is a really good sign, and I, I'll, I'll get to more of that later, but... I think that one of the things I was told was the defensive line especially was playing a little bit more violent, and that caused some holding penalties on the offensive line like we talked about earlier. So the defensive line is, in the past, it kind of seemed like the defensive line, when they got a free got a free shot of the quarterback, all of a sudden they were in the backfield, and sometimes they made the play, sometimes they didn't. But it was always you know one guy who was out there and one guy who either made the tackle or missed a tackle. What I've been told is the defensive line has been much more active, much more pressuring to the point where you're seeing multiple defensive linemen in the backfield, you know, when the quarterback's still taking his drop. So I'm excited for that. I think you're going to see a much more active and disruptive defensive line, not a defensive line that's really trying to hold their hold their lanes, hold their spots, and, and let the linebackers react. The defensive line is – is much more like a Brad Lawing defensive line right now from from what I've been told. But all in all, it was a good first scrimmage. The coaches and the players both learned a lot about each other. 
it provided a good starting point as camp kind of ramps up over the next few weeks. And there, and there's still a couple more scrimmages left. So, you know, sooner or later, you're going to see some of these, some of these position groups and these, the depth chart kind of fill out and you'll know who's where and, and what, but right now the coaches are still feeling, feeling players out. They think that there's a lot of young kids that have the opportunity to be on the two deep and, and play on special teams. So that's what that first scrimmage was about. It wasn't always about the older guys. They kind of know what they have with them, but it was a lot about the younger guys. And and that's not to say Spencer Rattler didn't take all the snaps with the ones. Like Spencer was out there with the ones, but I don't think the ones were out there as much as, as you might think for a scrimmage. Uh, Coach Beamer and the coaches are still working through the depth chart. And don't be surprised if you see a number of freshmen on the two deep, like I just said. Um, I'm just looking through my notes here, and the coaches are still looking for seven to eight offensive linemen to separate themselves over the next few weeks. But there, there is talent there, and it's all about finding that right mix of guys who mesh and play as a unit. It's slowly coming along, and the, and I've been told the Gamecock coaches feel like they have eight to ten guys that are good enough to play in the SEC, but it's just finding that right mix of who understands the audibles, who understands the protections, who who can lean to their right or lean to their left and say, hey, hey, this is what we're doing here. Like, Make sure you're lined up correctly. That's what they're looking for right now, and it might be a work in progress, but the offensive line is going to be great, whether it's this year, next year, or the following year. The Gamecocks are really set up, set up well from the offensive line standpoint. I want to talk a little bit about um, offensive coordinator Dowell Loggins and you know what the, the offensive highlights of the scrimmage were. Spencer Rattler took all the all the plays with the ones, and you know Spencer. It looks like he's maintaining that confident play from the end of last season. Spencer Rattler's return this season it really was a godsend for the offensive staff, and and he's a kid who has now played in multiple college systems. He understands concepts really well. I've been told that he's he's taken the Loggins playbook, and the two of them have spent a lot of time together tag-teaming the playbook and what the quarterback is comfortable with. It's been a nice change of scenery because last season, nobody outside of the offensive coordinator had much say at all with what play was called and what the overall concepts were. But Dowell Loggins and Spencer have spent a lot of time together. And, and Loggins... Loggins is somebody that's been known for his adaptive personality, both in the NFL and college football. Um, he he has that ability just to connect with the the coaches in the in the coaches room, um, with his players, with his position units. Like when he was a tight ends coach at Arkansas, now obviously he has a pedigree with offensive offensive coordinator position, quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, and he understands that players have to be comfortable. To perform, and what I mean by that is, if a player's thinking too much, they're not comfortable. If a player's trying to react to the defense, they're not comfortable. A player needs to know what the concepts are, and I anticipate that Dowell Loggins will continue to adapt his offense year over year based on the players that he has and and what they're comfortable with. I've said that a lot of times on this show, but. It's been night and day, the difference between Satterfield and Loggins and just the way that he's he's connecting with with his players and his you know fellow coaches on the offensive side of the ball and the defensive side of the ball asking what they see. But and this should sound like a bit of like a duh moment, 
but I can promise you that it's a major shift from Marcus Satterfield's approach over the last two years. So when we talk about some guys that made some plays and, and are kind of making their mark right now, Xavier Leggett and Amarion Brown have both shown some some promising playmaking abilities. But Juice Well is being out right now. It's really allowed Leggett and Brown to get on the same page with Rattler. And the results in practice and the scrimmages bear that out from what I've been told. I know that Leggett and Brown have, or Leggett, however you want to pronounce the last name, Xavier and Amarion have been out there and they've been making plays and making, you know, I'm not going to say all the defensive backs look foolish, but they've definitely had their fair share of just the whoopsie-daisy or the overpowering catch and run and, and just making themselves available for the football, which is which is really awesome. You know, Leggett is certainly flashed at times, but unlocking Brown's speed and game-changing kind of like that big playability has been a huge emphasis this offseason. And I remember a couple years ago when, when a Miriam Brown transferred from Georgia Tech, JC put something on the message boards that said, this guy is kind of like a mini Tyreek Hill. And you've seen flashes of what Brown can do when he has the ball in his hands and you know, the way he can cut, the way he can just cut behind an offense and do an end around, the way he can get down the field. And he's still pint size, like he's not a big guy. But at the same time, I really do think that you're going to see Amir on Brown's potential kind of unlocked this year. And I'm not saying that it's going to be seven catches a game or five catches a game or anything like that. But I think the catches that Amarion has this year are going to be big catches. And, and the same thing with Xavier. Uh, right now, I think that both of those guys are kind of prime for career years. And when I say a career year, what I, what I really mean by that is just the most productive and valuable year they've had in a Gamecock uniform consistently. And consistently might mean three, two, three, four catches for Amir on Brown for 55 yards a game and, you know, a couple of long touchdowns throughout the season. And it might mean like four three, four catches for Xavier, Xavier Leggett, and he gets 55, 60 yards and a couple touchdowns. But, you know, if you get that every game, you're you're talking about 100 yards of offense from those two guys, plus Juice Wells, plus the tight ends that are on the roster, plus stuff out of the backfield, you know, going to running backs. And you can see Spencer put up some gaudy numbers pretty quickly when you kind of reverse engineer that math. It's just it's it's unbelievable when you think about the four to five reliable pass catchers pass catchers that you have, including the tight end position right now. Because I think that everybody knows Juice Wells is an elite guy. Xavier's not an elite guy yet, but he's working his way into be maybe like a Tory Gurley type guy, and then maybe like early Ace Sanders um, for Amarion Brown for like what you can expect from those like you know key three wide receiver positions. And Omega Blake has has actually looked pretty good too at wide receiver here lately. He's kind of coming along, and and don't sleep on true freshman Elijah Caldwell either. I've been told that he's been very impressive, especially when it comes to hauling in some tough catches. The coaches are really happy with his progress, and I think that he has a big future at South Carolina. I guess we should probably talk about Nick Harbor now. Uh, Nick certainly had his fair share of flash plays. And he's doing very well so far. He, he's going to be on the field this year and is somebody that can absolutely take the top off a of defense 
in multiple ways, but still trying to unlock the best way for Nick Harbour to, to make an impact game in game out. And that's not a knock on Nick Harbour at all. Like he's, he's probably the most physically impressive wide receiver that the Gamecocks have had in a really, really long time, but he's still a young kid and it's going to take him a little bit of time, but there, there are so many different ways that Nicholas Harbour can impact a game. And, and I trust that Dowell Loggins is going to find one of those. And and Nick Harbour might be the difference in two or three games this season. And I, I can't predict how it's going to happen. I can't predict when it's going to happen. But at some point, like the light is going to fully come on. And right now, it's probably like 60 65% of the way on. But the more opportunities that Nick gets to work with Spencer Rattler, the more opportunities they have to get comfortable together – the sky is the limit for Nick Harbour. And I think that he's going to be a guy that's going to flash a lot this year. You know, maybe five or six games, it's going to be, wow, did you see what Nicholas Harbour did? But I think sophomore year, junior year, you're really going to see him be an elite, elite wide receiver for the Gamecocks. And and the Gamecocks are lucky right now that they don't need him to be elite. They have Juice Wells, they have Xavier, they have Amarion, they have the tight ends, they have the running backs out of the backfield. It's It's been really good for Nick Harbour to be able to slowly ease in to the offense. So overall, the wide receiver room is looking pretty good right now. Uh, the Gamecocks didn't miss on you know Jonathan Paylor and Keelan Adams here recently, but I can tell you that there's a lot of optimism in that wide receiver room right now, not just for this season, but also for the future. Uh, just really quick, let's talk a little bit about the injury side. And you're going to have to bear with me. I'm going to take a sip of water here. I think that Juice Wells, his availability is still uncertain. The coaches are cautiously optimistic about his return. Behind the scenes, there there's really not a lot being shed other than it would be surprising for him to not be ready before week one. Like, not just for week one, but before week one. Juice is a kid that that wants to play, but he knows that he has to be smart about the preseason. This is a kid that has NFL aspirations, and he really can't afford an injury. And that's not to say that, you know, he's worried about it. He's a kid that also knows that he needs to put up the most film he possibly can in every game this season to get drafted where he wants to get drafted. So Juice the kid that's chomping at the bit to play, but at the same time, both staff and player know that they need to be smart about it. Right now, I think it's a 50-50 situation if he plays week one. If he doesn't play week one, I don't think you're going to see him week two, and I think you'll see him save for week three against Georgia. Um, but right now, I lean towards him playing. I say 50-50 situation just because I, the coaches are, are being close-lipped about this, and I can't blame them. Right now, whether he's going to play against North Carolina or not, you want North Carolina's coaches to have to prepare for him one way or another. And you don't want the cat the cat out of the bag. I always get upset when fans talk about, we need an injury report. I need to know who's playing before the game's being played. Like in the NFL, I understand the gambling aspect of it. And in college, I understand it to a certain extent about the gambling side of, of the game. And look, I gamble in the NFL and I gamble on college football. So would I love to have this information? Absolutely. But what I will say is that these college kids are college kids. And, you know, they, there's HIPAA. There are a lot of things that coaches can and cannot talk about 
But as a Gamecock fan, whether a, a player is in or out for an upcoming game, the last thing that we want is for the opposition to know one way or another. I mean, think about the last time we played North Carolina and nobody knew that DeCarrion was going to play quarterback. And, and think about how much that changed things up and you know how successful DeCarrion was that game because the cat really never got out of the bag. So injuries, I mean, they are what they are. And, we, and we've, we've talked about it here a little bit ad nauseum. So, I mean... I'm never going to be a guy that's going to tell you this guy is going to play or not play. Like I said, right now for Juice Wells, I think it's 50-50, and I lean towards him playing, but I don't know for sure. Another guy that was injured is Trey Knox, and I'm not going to say anything that Shane Beamer hasn't already said. Shane thinks that he could be back this week in practice or next week in practice, so Trey Knox avoided any kind of knee worries or knee injury that could have sidelined him multiple weeks. He's, he's looking pretty good and ready to go. Um, Joshua Simon is a kid that had, that did have some flash moments in the scrimmage. For those of you who don't know, Joshua Simon is a transfer transfer portal addition from Western Kentucky University, and he's been really impressive, especially blocking for the running backs the last couple of weeks. He's wasn't a guy that was known for his blocking, but he has really taken it on the chin and and learned how to do it, and he's really exerting his will there. And, you know, even before the scrimmage, I've heard a ton about Simon behind the scenes as a guy that will surprise the casual fan with just how good he can be. Um, And that's with big-time plays. He can make big-time plays both catching the ball and with the ball in his hands after the catch. He can stretch a defense. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, some 40-yard, not Hail Marys, but just bombs down the field with some level routes and some crossing routes. And then all of a sudden, Josh Simon is – you know, running with nobody within 20 yards of him, kind of like we used to see Jaheim Bell do. Uh, I'm telling you right now, Josh Simon's going to surprise the casual fan. I think both tight ends are primed for pretty big years as it stands right now. They're they're both above average tight ends, and the Gamecock staff is not expecting to have either of them on roster next year. So, you when you have when you have these kind of tight ends, they can really open up a ton of a ton of room for wide receivers and running backs as well, the backfield. And when they block the way they block, I think that's one of the reasons the coaches are kind of okay with the running back room and the way it is. And we might as well move on to the running back room right now. So freshman, four-star, um, DJ Braswell, Dontavious Braswell, he, he's shown a lot of promise and he's called attention for his agility and speed. I really do think that he's going to avoid getting redshirted this year, and he could get work on special teams or as the team's third or fourth running back as things stand right now. For for Braswell, the game still needs to slow down a bit for him, but he is electric with the ball in his hands, and he's a tough, tough runner. And speaking of the depth chart, on Joyner, he really stands out and seems ready to handle a leading role right now. Juju McDowell and Mario Anderson Jr. are also a part of the mix. The overall approach remains a, a cautious kind of wait and see in the running back room. DeCarion's never played the position full-time, and, and Juju's kind of a hybrid running back out of the backfield receiver, who we all know is, is dangerous with the ball in his hands. And he always lays it out, you know, full bore to make a play. And then there's Mario Anderson, who's more of a – he's more than a plotting running back, but he needs the game to slow down for him a little bit. 
physically speaking, Anderson looks like he looks like Marshawn Lloyd, but doesn't quite have the agility that you pop from time to time when you watch Marshawn Lloyd do a LaShawn McCoy cut right or left and then go upfield. And and oftentimes, you know, Marshawn, he, he did a little too much dancing behind the line of scrimmage and dancing when the ball was in his hands. So I, I'm not saying that Mario Anderson is going to be Marshawn Lloyd. They're, they're different players. They're just built similarly. But if the game can slow down for Mario Anderson, I don't see any reason he can't be a big bruising running back that can go get you, you know, four yards on a third and three or six yards on a first and ten. He he has the ability. The game just has to slow down for him. Overall, this is a decent to good. So, like, decent to good, I guess, group of running backs. I don't want to say great. I want to say good. Um, it's, a, it's a decent to good running back room. Right now, I think that DeCarion Joyner is the top guy at the moment. And Joyner has bulked up. I mean, he looks more like you would expect a running back to look based on what, you know, you might have seen him at, you know, last season when he was playing wide receiver or wildcat quarterback, all of that. Joyner does have more of a look of a running back right now. Right now, I'm thinking you're going to see like a 60% Joyner running back carry share, maybe 20% for Juju. 15% for Mario Anderson and 5% for Don, Dontavious Braswell, Braswell. And I think you're going to see Joyner and, and Juju handling the bulk of the work to start the season. But as the season progresses and Anderson and Braswell get their sea legs, so to speak, you could see it balance out more if DeCarion isn't getting the job done like the staff hopes. Or, or you know, Anderson and Braswell are just... Roswell are just too good to keep off the field. And there's, I know there's some optimism in the Gamecock coaches facility that, that once, once Mario Anderson and, 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 and DJ figure it out that, you know, we all love, we all love to carry on and to carry on is going to do whatever the team needs, but these guys might, might just have that little clicking moment where all of a sudden like it clicks and they're ready to go. So, don't stress out too much about the running back room is I guess where I would leave that after the first scrimmage. When we talk about the defense, uh, the defense, I can't underestimate or you know tell you like I can't overestimate actually the importance of Travian Robertson and you know him being back on the practice fields at Williams Bryce Stadium. You know outside of that, the the long facility, whatever it's called and how it's impacted the Gamecocks line of scrimmage. I mean, they are emphasizing aggression and effectiveness, and Travian has definitely brought that Brad Lawing mindset to his players. And it's really it's really starting to resonate with his guys, as we talked about earlier. I mean, there were a couple, a couple holding calls that the offense had that negated explosive plays just because the defensive line was that nasty and, and that aggressive with, with their play. Uh, some... Yeah, I didn't get like as much from a standout perspective from the defensive side of the ball, and I think that was by design. I don't know if the coaches are really going to leak out like, "Hey, this was our best, our best defensive lineman rushing the ball." Because you I mean there, there's or rushing the quarterback. There's just so much there that that's still gamesmanship, and and the coaches aren't going to say it. And if I knew it, I wouldn't say it. You know, it's it's I care more about the Gamecocks winning than I care about you know being right on. 
you know, a free show like this where we're just talking Gamecocks. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean that I'm going to, as you guys know, I've told you everything I possibly could about recruiting up to this point. I've been as blunt as possible when it comes to like the games. I just don't think it's our business to, to share who is, you know, truly going to be a surprise for North Carolina. What I can tell you though, is that, um, the Greer kid or the gear kid that came from Syracuse is flashing. I don't know how often he's going to be playing. I think that he's definitely on the two deep. He could be a starter and it's not somebody North Carolina hasn't seen before, but one of the guys that North Carolina has definitely not seen before is Jordan Strong. And he looks as good as he's ever looked in a Gamecock uniform. He's, he's absolutely crushed his recovery and he looks explosive and ready to capitalize on this upcoming season, which will be his last as a collegiate athlete. And he is looking fast off the line. He's looking built. He's looking strong. Really excited to see see what's, what's in store for him. Um, cornerback Marcellus Dial, again, he's just getting so much buzz as a potential early-round NFL draft pick. And I've been saying this on the show for a while. I don't know what else we need to see from Marcellus Dial in the preseason to know that he is the next great Gamecock defensive back. And I'm, I'll, I'll put my name on that one. This, this kid is really, really good right now. Linebackers are kind of a mystery right now, not because they're underperforming, but the light has come on for some of the older guys and the younger guys aren't backing down, but the older guys are pushing them and saying, you're going to have to take my job. And it's not necessarily folks that you've seen play a lot of downs for the Gamecocks thus far, but the linebacker room is going to be exciting to watch. I I don't think they can go wrong with any of the top four guys that are kind of in the rotation right now. And then add in pup, you know, pup Howard, Grayson Howard, who has been dealing with a little bit of an injury. And he's been, he's been very impressive since he stepped on campus so he's going to find a place on the two deep immediately, and it wouldn't surprise me for Grayson Howard to be a starter at the linebacker position this upcoming season at some point. But I, I really don't know who the starters will be this year. Bams looked good. Stones looked good. Pups looked good. But it's it's much more of a question of, you know, not not a question of if they're going to be able to perform, but it's like who's going to be able to perform, kind of like the offensive line. Those are two question marks that a lot of people have had, and I just find myself not necessarily having the question mark of, like, are they going to be terrible? No, I don't think they're going to be terrible. Are they going to be elite? No, I don't think they're going to be elite. Are they going to be adequate? Yeah, I think they're going to be adequate. And sometimes adequate's all you need, and but there's potential to be better than adequate, and that's kind of what I'm looking for. I'm really optimistic that the rushing defense will be improved this year based on who's coming back and, and who's excelling as newcomers. And that just goes straight to the defensive line, linebackers, and you know the safety position of just <clears throat> having guys that are really understanding where they're supposed to be, what, 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 what the play is doing in front of them, and where their gaps are and what their responsibilities are. And it's been an emphasis this, um, this offseason for the defense with so many fresh faces out there, especially – especially on the two deep that they these kids have to know what they're doing. And right now, right now I'm really excited about it. So to end this show tonight, I kind of wanted to run through the AP top 25 that was released earlier today. Um, 
you know, South Carolina last year finished the season in the AP in the AP um, top twenty-five poll at number twenty-three overall. So I tried to kind of figure out like how you know a team that finished sixteenth in the recruiting rankings according to twenty-four-seven Sports and finished twenty-third in the country last year was not ranked in the preseason this year. So I went through it. I'm just going to run down this list with you really quick. In the AP poll, you have you know Georgia, who finished the season obviously 15 and 0 last year, ranked number one in the country. They're ranked number one again. Michigan was 13 and one last year. They were ranked third in the country at the end of the season. They're second in the country. You have Ohio State, third in the country right now. They finished fourth last year at 11 and two. Alabama's ranked fourth in the country. They finished fifth in the country last year. And I'm not going to belabor this point, but I do want to talk a little bit about the teams that you know. Like an LSU, they're ranked fifth in the preseason this year. Last year they were ten and four, and they finished sixteenth in the country. Southern Cal is ranked sixth in the country. They went eleven and three last year, and they were ranked twelfth in the final poll. Um, looking through here, you have Texas. <clears throat> Texas is ranked eleventh in the country this year. They went eight and five last year. And their final final ranking last year was twenty fifth. So they're up fourteen fourteen points in the in the rankings. Tennessee finished sixth last year. They're they're twelfth this year. <clears throat> One of the ones that really caught my attention was Notre Dame. Notre Dame always is a preseason darling, always a postseason darling if they have a good good record. But Notre Dame was nine and four. They finished eighteenth in the country last year and they're up to thirteenth. I don't know anybody in the country that can sit there and say that last year's Notre Dame and South Carolina teams weren't pretty daggum equal. And you have a team that finished 18th in the country, and now they're 13th. Looking through this a little bit more, you have Wisconsin, who was 7-6 last year. They're ranked 19th in the country in the preseason. They were not ranked last year at the end of the season. Oklahoma, ranked 20th in the country. They were 6-7 and seven last year. They were not ranked at the end of, of last season. And not only were Wisconsin and Oklahoma not ranked, but they received zero votes for the top 25 poll. North Carolina finished 9-5. and five. They were not ranked last year, and they were 32nd via the, the votes in the AP Top 25, and now they're 21st in the country. Ole Miss was not ranked at the end of last year. Eight and five, no votes in the top twenty-five poll. Now they're twenty-second in the country in the preseason. Texas A&M five and seven, not ranked in the final poll, no votes in the final poll, and they're twenty-third in the country. <clears throat> then you have Iowa, eight and five, not ranked last year in the final poll, thirty-fourth via votes, twenty-fifth in the country in the preseason. And then you have South Carolina, who went eight and five last year. Finished 23rd in the country, had the 16th best recruiting class in the country, and now the Gamecocks are 27th in the polls. So, one, two, three, four, five, six teams. Six teams jumped the Gamecocks that were not ranked last year and are ranked this year in the preseason. And, look, I'm not a Gamecock. I'm I'm, I'm a Gamecock fan. I'm not a Gamecock homer. But... You really have to explain to me how you have potentially a, an all-SEC quarterback, all-SEC wide receiver coming back, and you sign the recruiting class that you did with the returning players that you have coming back. And and sometimes I think it's tough because I think 
and I do the same thing in college basketball. I don't necessarily know that the AP voters are actually the best X's and O's guys and gals in the country. I also don't know how much they actually pay attention. I don't think it's possible for the average AP voter to follow 25 to 40 teams a week, week in and week out, and actually give a, a good a good ranking. Like, how do you sort through that? I can barely sort through the the SEC college basketball standings when I look at what I, when I watch all those games, let alone 127 or 129 teams as it is now. And I've just long been a proponent of just stop doing this this early. Because when you look through there, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Yeah. Generally, give, give or take 18 teams in the final top 25 last year in the preseason top 25. Let's stop having this preseason poll even be reported on. Let's wait until after week four of the college football season and then let everybody put their ballot in. I don't care if they just start with this poll and they work their way back, but to have this poll out right now, and look, for the Gamecocks, is a good thing. Shane Beamer is going to capitalize on being the underdog. And you saw Mac Brown trying to, his hardest to be the underdog all offseason about this game. It, it's important to be the underdog in the first game of the season when you're already chomping at the bit. And right now, you know, the Gamecocks, would they like to be ranked? Yes. Would that help recruiting? Yes. Would it help recruiting to be, you know, 25th in the country and, you know, win this game, jump North Carolina, be 21st in the country, and then potentially jump a couple other teams that might lose. And But it's just a long road to hoe for the Gamecocks to get all the way up to potentially a playoff when a four-team playoff is the current situation. And that's why like, I encourage all Gamecock fans not to get mad about the, the recruiting rankings. Or not the recruiting rankings. Get mad about those to an extent. But just... The Gamecocks are definitely worthy of being a top twenty-five team in the top twenty-five team in the preseason, but it it really only matters at this point for the teams that are ranked in the top twelve, um, top twelve to fifteen in the country to start the season. That's where you want to be because it's really hard to work your way up into a top four playoff as it stands right now. When the when the playoff goes to twelve teams, yeah, that's something different, and then we'll get excited about that because the Gamecocks. Can, can start out at 16 and, and work their way up. But right now, the, the the deck's just stacked against them, especially when you have Georgia in week three. And, you know, you beat Georgia in week three, and then all of a sudden you're going to be in the top 15. If you keep winning, then you got to hope that the, just looking through this, the Southern Cows of the world, the Penn States, the Florida States, the Clemsons, the Washingtons, the Texases, the Notre Dames all lose ahead of you because eventually there's only going to be six or seven undefeated teams after week seven, eight, nine. And then it's a lot of pressure to keep it going. But that's what the Gamecocks will have to do, where a lot of these teams like Alabama or Clemson who can afford to lose the game. When you start as low as the Gamecocks are starting, you can't afford to lose uh, you can't afford to lose the game to win a national championship or get to the playoffs. And look, am I am I talking in in illusions of grandeur? A little bit, yeah. But like I just saw so much chatter about the top 25 and, and being left out, and I just encourage all the Gamecock fans to just take the season for what it is this year. This season probably isn't going to end in a national championship. Can it end in a New Year's Day Bowl? Heck yeah. 
and that's the goal. And like, let's go after that. And you know, anything past that is gravy. If you get, if you beat Georgia, and the Gamecocks, I'm, I'm, I'm not counting them out. Like I can already tell you, I told you I'm a gambler. I will take the Gamecocks and the points against Georgia this year, and I don't care what the point spread is. I feel that confidently about this Gamecock team. I think this Gamecock team could be an eight, nine, ten win team, and we'll have. We'll have all that stuff on, on later episodes, but I just I wanted to I wanted to break down the scrimmage. I wanted to break down some stuff that I'm hearing behind the scenes at the moment about not just the scrimmage, but you know the the folks that are the and the, the folks I, I should say the players that are performing well. And we'll have more of this leading up into the off season. I'd like to hear back from you guys about you know going back and looking at all these games and reporting on them from last season. I, I have watched the first four games of last season I have notes, but I just didn't get a lot of, a lot of positive stuff about, you know, wanting to hear about that. There were other things that folks wanted to hear about. So it might be something I put on the big spur where I just break down each game, um, talk to Whittle, figure out the best time to put it out there on the big spur and, and maybe make it an article form instead of a podcast form. And that's probably what I'm, I'm leaning towards doing. If, if there's anybody that wants to connect with me and, and talk about the games, whether it be, you know, via email or a thread on the Big Spur or PM on the Big Spur, you know, let me know. You can always reach me at Matt Anderson on the And then on top of that, you know, you have the late night Gamecock show at gmail.com. And I'm always here for y'all. I really appreciate your time. I know that um, it feels like still the dog days of summer and we got three weeks left till Gamecock football kicks off. And, you know, we're going to talk about a lot of things over and over again, because until something else happens, that's what we have to talk about. And that's, what's exciting. And, and um, we'll do a, a Q and a or something like that. We'll do a mailbag, whatever you guys want. But again, let me know on late night Let me know on the big spur. I'm always around for y'all. And, and with that, that's all the time that we have for tonight. I really do appreciate all of you giving me the most valuable thing you have, which is your time. And I will catch up with you guys next time, probably on Thursday night. I hope you guys have a great one, and we'll talk soon.